Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey, on today's episode, we're talking to Jake Kemp about the Mavericks, what they're going to do at the trade deadline, and probably a lot more than that. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca. The timing sucks because the Mavs are ass. But did you see his Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Tim Cato. We've got a new theme song. We're changing things up today. We don't have our usual array of guests. So uh, shout out to the theme. That's uh, Colin Cable, huge Mavs fan. I appreciate him uh, sharing that with us to, to use here. I like the old one, but I like I like uh, I like some original production. You guys do a lot of that, Jake. Welcome, Jake Kemp of uh, the ticket the tickets fame. Used to be the athletic, all that stuff. That'll work. That'll work. Yeah, uh, as a, a new show, relatively new. We just we launched last February 11th, and then this year on February 11th launched the name change and a theme song that we spent way too much time and unfortunately our own money on. <laughs> so you guys just have like an array of like <laughs> songwriters that you can enlist for these things though. Right. I, I haven't do. heard your new one, but like, I want to say, and this is a very deep cut. Um, the Brunigs podcast, I believe yeah. comes from a P one, right? I believe it does. Yeah. No, I've, uh, I've, I'm I'm a big fan of the Brunigs and and was a little bit dis not dismayed but surprised whenever they were talking about sports talk radio and outed me and said I mean the ticket in Dallas has a socialist on their midday show <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the the uh, Jonah meme from the award show I'm like oh man come on <laughs> so, oh, man. <laughs> but yeah I'm a big fan man I uh, I listen to you guys just about every episode so happy to be here. Socialism is also what the Mavericks believe their uh, their first round pick strategy is. Everybody should you. have them. Look Everyone should have them. <laughs> Everyone should have them. So that's what we're here. We're talking trade deadline picks, first rounders, all that nonsense. Let's uh, honestly, I think we're probably going to have discussions and conversations that are similar to the ones that I've been having with uh, Mike Pellucci and Dave Dufour, uh, the regular podcast host. But you're Jay Kemp. That's a different name. With different opinions, and so uh, I'm I'm excited to uh, to get just a different perspective on uh, life in Dallas, and specifically basketball life in Dallas these days. What do you think of the team just right now? You know, just in general. You know, it's unfortunate because I think you know last year we all were singing the song of this team is better than their record indicates. They're better than a seven seed. I think they had a, what top ten net rating, and you were able to boil it down to just the clutch games, uh, and say, okay, well that's indicative of a young team. They're still trying to figure out their late game offense. Uh, a lot of times in those late games, it turned into Luca by himself. And you thought, all right, we're well, going into this year that that's what they need to figure out. 
So we won't have any excuses this year. And then bam, you get on the plane to Denver. Not everybody's there and things just go haywire. And that's after they'd already decided they were going to make a slight upending of their roster. I mean, it's not like Seth Curry was playing 40 minutes a game, but he was a starting piece for, you know, down the stretch in the season. You obviously make the offense for defense trade, which process-wise I agreed with. So even if the results right now aren't solid, I don't I don't think it would be fair for me to judge them uh, negatively based on outcomes. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because last year we almost had an excuse for why they were a seven seed. And then COVID hits and we almost have an excuse for why, why they are where they are right now. And, you know, you could call me a homer if you want, but I think if you look at since February 3rd, and that is possibly an optimistic filter since it starts right after they got destroyed twice by Utah, Phoenix once, and then lost a close game to Phoenix. But that also does coincide with Maxi playing starters minutes, right? And because uh, of the second loss of the Suns, he played 15, 16 minutes, something like that. So you start there with the Hawks game. They're 14 and six, uh, fifth offense, 24th defense, fifth and three-point shooting. And I think that's about what I thought they would be. You know, that that the defense, if it was going to come, would come in the back half of the season and that the offense would be good enough to maintain. So that's about what I thought they'd be, you know, about a, about a team that would would win, you know, 14 out of 20 games, maybe a little give or take a little either way. Pretty good on offense, work in progress on defense. And if there's any trend in that sample, if you want to drill down further, since the Boston game, they're eight and four, eighth on offense, 14th on defense. So even if you're conservative about what they would have done during the COVID stretch, if they were fully fit. That probably puts them tied with Denver and Portland, maybe slightly ahead of both. So I think they are about what I thought they would be. Yeah, you're able to embrace a fandom more than me, and but but it all it always does feel weird when I have to like defend this team as as, as like I do and say, look at everything that went wrong. Look at you know the narrative that that formed around them in mid February or when they're eight and 13 is just not representational of what they actually went through. Something you didn't mention, they have the easiest schedule in the entire league from here on out. Everything points to the fact that this was always a better team. This was never a team that should have been eight and 13. There were extreme circumstances that led them to that path, to that point. And the one way that I don't think either of us are actually acting in a Homer way is that I think at this point, it's fair to say the expectations are back to where they should be much higher. In fact, if, if the team doesn't finish something like 10 games over 500 in their last 30, given the schedule they have to play, I, I think that would be disappointing. I, I think that would be a failure of expectations way more than going 8 and 13 or, you know, 10 and 10 and 13 or, or 10 and 15, whatever they were at at their at their lowest points. You know, I think a a bad second half of the season, that's where the actual expectations and disappointments could come into play much, much more than the first half. Yeah, no, it's frustrating if you work in sports media that if you try to provide an explanation, then you're you're giving excuses. And so people were talking during that stretch about how poor the Mavericks three point shooting is. And I'm like, look, I can promise you they did not want Wes Awundu and Josh Green taking these shots. Now, you can get into another conversation because I was definitely on the air the night of the draft. And, of course, Mavs Twitter wanted Desmond Bain. Sadiq Bey seemed like a great option to me. Um, but that's another conversation for another day. But both those guys would have been very helpful during COVID time had they been healthy. But you're right. I mean, the expectations are back where we thought that they should be. The problem is, is that no one's going to look at it at the end of the season and say, yeah, but you had this stretch where you didn't have most of uh, of your impact players. 
And so now it's almost like they have to play a little bit above their heads to get back some of that ground that they lost. But as you said, fortunately, despite having a lot of back-to-backs, they do have on paper the easiest schedule the rest of the way. They got a series win over Denver. Don't imagine it coming into play, but the series went over the Clippers. The Spurs, of course, lost it to Portland. But, you know, they may have to, you know, they may have to play a little. They may have to win a few games that we don't expect them to, to be able to get up to five or six. But I don't think that's entirely out of the question, given what we've seen out of them over the last month and a half at all. <laughs> that that draft night discussion and who they got actually might be a conversation today. But uh, we'll, we'll see. If OK, we'll, well, here's all there. Well, let me tell you this real quick. Let's yeah, just give me, right give me your 30 second rundown on it. OK, so. I'll try. Uh, of course, this team needed shooting, especially if they were going to make a play that they were going to send away Seth Curry. And my thing is I've defended the Mavs drafting to an extent because when people have analyzed what teams have done with their draft slot and projected it out for average value, the Mavericks have actually not underperformed their draft slot uh, much, if at all. They had the second least amount of draft capital for 20 years because they had the second most wins. The only team that had less outperformed by a mile, which was the Spurs. So I've given them a little bit of leeway on stuff like that, but this year is too clear cut of a mistake. I mean, everybody was saying it that night. Both those guys uh, could have stepped in and helped you right away in the roles they're filling on their team. So that's not one that I'm going to be able to defend um, unless you know Josh Green turns into you know some sort of three and D stopper. I, I, that that one is inexcusable to me. So what's interesting that of what you said there is that the team that overperformed obviously is the Spurs, right? Yeah. And I think there's an argument to be made that if you're going to be good for as long as the Mavericks were, that you have to overperform your draft value. Um, I guess the other option is that you're a big market who can attract free agents when you have cap space and when those opportunities come up. And the Mavericks have always operated and believe they are a big market team. The evidence and the facts would point uh, somewhat otherwise that they have never really had a major signing. Their largest signing is Chandler Parsons. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say so. The three days of DeAndre Jordan? Is that is that their is that their largest signing? Yeah, I mean, everyone else has basically been a trade or or someone that you were rounding out, you know, Monte. Right. <laughs> so like on the the second, second, third tier of free agent. And everyone else in the league, all teams that have gone through phases and and of contending and not, have always stripped down and gone to the bottom. And even if they didn't use their draft picks on you know, players that are now rotation players or stars or whatever, they at least had that draft capital where they could right. improve the team in that way. And so the Mavericks, in, in some ways, I, I think is an interesting uh, test study because they've been good so for so long that they've they've really eliminated in multiple ways uh, trade trading or sorry trading draft picks or drafting players as a viable way to to improve the team, which as as we well know has, has left them stuck with you know given their free agency failures, pretty much only trading as a as a reasonable way or 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 secondary almost last ditch efforts in free agency uh to do team building which is an interesting spot to be in let's not get immediately into that i, I think the conversation is going to go there but just in terms of the roster right now one, one thing i've done to try to define them and describe them is is kind of assign the floor raisers ceiling raisers you know i think it's an exercise i've heard you talk about i think it's one that makes sense to to kind of talk about contenders and I think this team clearly has enough floor raisers that they are a top six seed in the Western Conference, uh, should not be a play-in team. I, I think that's kind of our new mark of how good a team is. It used to be, can you get home court advantage? Now it's, are you firmly out of that play-in tournament race thing that the NBA has introduced? 
And, and I think they're clearly that. My concern is that there's not enough on their roster. There's not ceiling raisers or or people with untapped talent that's going to get them to the next level. It's going to have to happen either at this week's trade deadline, uh, which seems unlikely because, again, they don't have much to trade out, or it's going to have to happen in free agency. And, and they've put a lot into the free agency period this coming summer. But Specifically with the roster, what failures do you see or, or what structural issues do you see that is holding them back from, you know, looking at them and saying, OK, this is a contender? Well, I thought you and Dave nailed it on your last episode. And it's, you know, anybody who watches them closely could probably come away with the same take, which is just that just about everybody outside of Luca and we can talk KP and how important he is in this the, the vector of uh, floor and ceiling. Everyone just has to play a little over their paper. You know, and that's exacerbated way, way, way further when KP isn't playing well, isn't engaged, which is related, or is injured or resting. They can't afford to have too many nights off in one game against good teams, which is the playoffs. Good teams force role players into off nights at a way, way higher degree. And so in a playoff series, they need the best version of Richardson and Dorian in the same game, the best version of Maxi and Hardaway in the same game to have a chance, uh, save for maybe a game or two where Luka just blacks out. And that's not impossible, but... A real contender doesn't need four role players to play their best game or close to it several games in a row to beat other good teams, which is why I think the KP thing is very important because if you consider Luka a given, getting a big night from KP means not every role player has to be great or even good, right? Like I think we point at the Denver and San Antonio games. In the Denver game, Richardson had 20, but Brunson, Timmy, Dorian, and Burke went four of 19 from three. But they got 25 from KP, five, five of seven from three, three blocks, and you're able to just handle a team in your tier with relative ease. Same same as a San Antonio game. Lesser opponent, but same result. The rest of the maps are just okay, but no one else was great. So I think that's why KP is really important because he is a ceiling raiser. Now he's also possibly a uh, floor lowerer. <laughs> I don't know what the word is for that. Well, I think uh, I think that's 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 like part of being a ceiling raiser is that if you're not raising the ceiling, then you might be hurting the team. I, I think it's it's part and parcel sure. with with that whole discussion. But yeah, whatever the term is, I, I, but, I but it's almost like when he's bad, he's not even really. I mean, he's solid, but his bad is not the same as as a lot of other stars' bad. I mean, when he's bad, it right. feels like he's actively hurting the team, not just being like, "Hey, I got a little bit of an off night here." So the roster already had enough flaws. Not enough shooting, not enough playmaking, not enough top-tier wing depth, not enough really everything, which is how you are if you're not one of the top five or six teams in the league. So they rely on role players playing well. And those deficiencies become a lot more glaring when KP is not giving you his best. You know, you can get by if you have great KP and great Luka in the playoffs. But <laughs> you need a lot from everyone else if you're not getting that. Was it weird how the, uh, how the trade rumors got taken? Uh, taken by who? By KP? No, no. I think just generally the idea that trade rumors are very binary. And if a name is oh, mentioned, yeah, that sure. means, yeah, that means, oh, Dallas wants to get rid of KP. This is, and I just, I think, I think the, the truth of how NBA front offices work and what that report really said is more nuanced than that. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if that's just a, a lot of people aren't really aware how that works. And it could be not to say that the, that report on KP wasn't accurate, but who knows where it came from, what degree of seniority that person had. And just about every NBA team has uh, one guy they wouldn't trade, if any, and everyone else is in play. So, no, that did not – you know, the stuff this week is a little more concrete. Whenever you've got Chris Haynes reporting that a John Collins deal could involve Maxi or that 
teams are calling about Dorian, but even that stuff is normal deadline fodder. And I don't, I don't read too much into it because I would have assumed that just about everybody's on the table. Yeah, I think Porzingis is, and I've said this before. It's it's a it's a chicken and egg thing. It's for him to be traded, he has to be at a more consistent level of production over a you know a sustained period of time. Otherwise, you're getting essentially what you sent to New York or or worse. And a Dennis Smith Jr. and two future picks are not helping the Mavericks right now. That's that's not even on on the table. Uh, even if somebody were to offer something like that, really, you need him to get back to the point where Carl Anthony Towns forces his way out. That Porzingis looks appealing enough that you could make that swap. That that is even in play in a couple of years down the line. So I think you know I, I wrote this in a piece that's actually running uh, today. Uh, it should be on the Athletic, just kind of ranking the players on the roster by tiers of of how tradable they are and, and things like that. And but but I wrote that even people who are fed up with KP and want him out of the team need him to consistently play well for a sustained period of time and make it seem like he should be around for the future. That's the only way that you're going to actually trade him or or, or have any realistic offers in, in terms of, you know, shopping him and and having people out there willing to uh, to send you back something that you'd actually want. And of course, as you said, the chicken and egg, the double-edged sword of that, uh, whatever analogy you want to use or, or, or saying is, then you might want to keep him. Because if he's playing well enough to be a trade target, or at least a, a viable piece in a big deal, and Luca's doing what Luca's doing, then this is probably a team that can finish third or fourth, or heck, even if we're talking a couple years from now, some of these other teams, you know, recede top of the conference. I mean, if he's a big enough, you know, it, if he's playing his best, which would make him attractive enough to be part of a package for somebody like Cat, then you might just keep him. You know, that's that's that, that's a that's what uh, Marlo Stanfield would call one of them good problems, Tim. <laughs> I think that's the first Marlowe Standen reference on uh, seventy seven months. Not a liar guy. I'm, I'm, I need. I need to. That's that. That one's on my list. I, I feel. I feel like. Uh, I feel like I'm not really ingraining myself in the city of Baltimore <laughs> yet. So there's a lot there. There's a lot there. But but just to but just to the overall point of what you know the roster is what we thought it was. I think the team production and you know wins wise is now where we thought they were. And we're exactly where we thought they were as far as they lean really heavily on role players. And some nights those guys can pop and you can beat good teams. Some nights those guys will be off and you'll lose to good teams. And sometimes you'll lose to average teams. Um, And I do think a big part of that hinges on, do you get San Antonio and Denver KP? Or do you get what we've had for the last three games? Because if you get what we had for the last three games, you better be putting up, uh, you know, 25 and a half from Luca and everybody else doing their, their part on the heavy lifting. And, that's a dicey proposition in a seven-game series. Yeah, that the first Clippers game was an example that even then you need a role player to to kind of pop off. You can't just have Luca, Kristaps, and Hardaway being the only twenty-point scorers, and everybody else is under ten. I think that that game was a, a pretty clear ten-point, you know, convincing loss. Just as the next game was a convincing win. Uh, just to just to close the the loop on Porzingis, I think both of us are maybe if we have deficits in terms of how we analyze basketball, it's that we. We love archetypes and we love what players represent. But Kristaps at his best represents exactly the star player you want next to Luka, I think. Someone that doesn't take the ball out of his hands often, but can in the right moments, can be an isolation scorer here and there. Obviously, a, a, a rim protector and a, and a floor spacer, uh, two things that the, the team absolutely needs from him. And, and so, you know, I agree. If, if he's playing well again, it's it's hard to imagine, you know, it it would have to be something like 
okay, we've gone to the playoffs two times in a row, and and maybe both times Chris Stubbs was a little bit disappointing there, but his regular season production is is peaking as as good as it's ever been and maybe it's time to try something and, and towns is just you know the most recent example i'm sure that you know there there would be other players in in two years times you know maybe maybe we were talking bradley beal or something like that but but that's that's the type of scenario where you could see maybe in 2023 he is tradable for that reason but but i think i think on paper he lines up to what this team needs it's why we love the trade when it happened and it's why I think that anybody around this team, analyzing this team, has to have faith in him really putting it together. Because it's increasingly becoming the only viable path forward. So they, they just don't have, they won't have the team building mechanisms at their disposal to, to go any other route other than KP really being his best, you know, being at his best. Yeah, no, the, that you said it perfectly. I mean, and that's why it's so frustrating that, that we have to have the, the qualitative side of the KP conversation every seemingly week or two. Right. Uh, the other night did not help. And I don't know. I don't know if you, how much you want to talk about that, but uh, I, I appreciate that the guy is uh, vulnerable for a pro athlete. It does. It makes for good radio. It does make for good print stories because he'll tell you what's on his mind and he doesn't do it in an adversarial or, or you know, I'm mad at the media way. But I mean, I, I, unless unless there's some reporting that will end up indicating and I know somebody, maybe you will ask Rick about it at some point, but I I need to know what you're doing walking off the floor at that point because there's a lot of things I can defend. I can defend players getting frustrated uh, if they're not getting the ball in their spots or if they're not able to you know beat Derek Jones Jr. But I, I I really can't handle you walking off the floor in a 30 point win on the road against a team that you're fighting for your lives against. So unless there's a great explanation for that one, that would probably be at the top of the list of a lot of other things that I discounted and said, ah, that's not that big of a deal, but, but I'm going to probably need to know more about that. Otherwise that's, that's very concerning. Yeah. So, 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 uh, so the inside story to that is now I'm kidding. I'm not going to break news on the, on the 77 minutes podcast. Come on, y'all. Now uh, it's, it's, it's definitely something it's it's a storyline we're going to keep up with, but, uh, but, but yeah, right now it's just all, uh, all, all kind of, kind of some weird, weird vibes. I I would just say weird vibes. Vibes are not immaculate around Porzingis and the Mavericks right now. (laughs) Not immaculate at all. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... Real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. 
Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Okay, so so we talked about the team building. We talked about how they haven't overperformed in the draft. Maybe needed to over the past two decades just because of, of where they are and, and because they haven't been that big market for agency team. They've always thought of themselves as that. They set up so much for this coming summer. And then it turns out that the free agency market just isn't going to be expansive. Giannis Antetokounmpo is off the table. Bradley Beal uh, resigned at what 2019 or whatever. There isn't much out there, so this is a this is two prong. We can talk about the trade deadline as well, and, and whether you know some some quick fixes or or grabbing an expiring that that actually would make sense as a as a longer term piece uh, would would be a smart move for them. But it, it doesn't really seem like so much of this team's next step hinges on hitting in a free agency period that just doesn't have a lot of good targets available. And I, I think to some degree. You know, it's it's not a failure until the summer comes and they fail, which isn't guaranteed. There's players they could get out there that that would make the team better, but especially with Luca's extension looming and thus cap space, it's very soon going to dry up. You know, next next summer it's it's going to be increasingly hard to get the cap space to to make actual moves. Uh, you know, in free agency on 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 the open market, that that leaves them in a in a tough spot. I, I mean, like I, I'm sure you feel this way as well, and just that. You know they're they're running out of time to to make the moves they need to make to make sure that Luca is here. You know beyond seven, eight, nine years. Yeah, no, I'm glad you at least said seven, eight, nine because I get a lot of people who maybe don't totally understand how NBA free agency and contracts and extensions and scales work. They're like every every Mavs lost it. I get ten people that are like, he's leaving, he's leaving in two years. I'm like, if he wants to leave this, you know, Breaking Bad pallet of money just laying there than I guess, but the players that have left before their second contract, I mean, Shaq is one. And then I think KP is the other and KP was in a really, you know, bad situation in New York. And I don't think anybody could fault him for wanting to get out. So I'm much nicer to him than New York media. So you can't play. Yeah, me. exactly. Exactly. You cut his hair, right? You're not cutting yours. So you cut his. Yeah, exactly. See, there it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't worry too much about what they can do in seven, eight, nine years. I mean, because I think once he signs that extension, you know, he's going to be here through seven years. And then you've looking at the cap sheet for say 2025. I mean, it's going to be a probably an entirely different roster. So, you know, guys will, their deals will end and then they'll be, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll open up their, their space. But that's a really interesting thing about this off season is right now. I think I would say they're about the ninth or 10th best team in the league. Now, there's a huge difference. You know, it's almost like it's a logarithmic. The difference between four and five or five and six is not one team, right? The difference between one and five and five and nine might not be the same. But for them to improve from the 10th best roster to the, let's say, fifth, you're going to have to take a significant part of that what made you that 10th best roster and gamble it to try to get up into the into the top five. And, of course, we're talking about Hardaway, talking about Richardson, talking about the valuable contracts of Dorian and Maxi, guys who are a big part of making sure that you're in that 9, 10, 11 range. Those guys are multiple, if not all of them, will have to go if your plan is to land somebody 
uh, in a trade that that can vault you up into that top five. And as you said, there's not a it's not a huge free agency class, but I am um, all the way out on. Well, we don't know if we like any of these players. We don't know if any of them fit. So we're just going to sit this out, you know, because I don't know how John Collins fits here. Um, and of course, the complication with him is he's restricted, which would mean you possibly could lose Hardaway Jr. and Richardson without even being able to sign Collins. But I don't care if Collins fits. He can play. I'll work that out afterward. You know, it's almost like a, a, a lighter version of the Kimba conversation from years past. Yeah, it's, it's why they have to sign someone. Uh, I don't yeah. it's almost like I don't care who they yeah. have to bring value into the team. Otherwise, like you said, they're stuck gambling value for value that could be more, but isn't guaranteed to be more. Otherwise, you're stuck trading players you know are good and know will be in your playoff rotation. For someone like Victor Oladipo, where you're like, ah, he could figure it out. He could be good. Like, he could be, you know, if you traded, you know, Maxi and Brunson on Thursday for Oladipo, that's a move that could push you towards that top five. It could also make you fall back if Oladipo isn't the player that that you're hoping he turns into, particularly if he isn't someone that, you know, you deem not worthy of being re-signed. And then all of a sudden you're out two players with team-friendly deals and Maxi and, and Jalen and and you're left trying to make up for that in, in free agency. That's why I'm I I think I don't want them to send out a rotation player uh at the deadline and and you know, outside of maybe if you're sure John Collins is the answer and you can trade for him now, where you're sending a player who is clearly less valuable but under team control and basically you're trading for Collins because you're guaranteed to sign him in, in restricted free agency once you have his rights. You know, that that is the only really the only scenario I can imagine. And that would be a proactive bit of of uh just guaranteeing that the free agency period works works the, you know in your favor uh I guess in a sense that I could get on board with, you know, I'll let the trade happen and, and then kind of make up where exactly I feel on it. But I think that's the only scenario where something like that really makes sense. I, I do hope they do something in, in terms of, you know, just around the edges, whether it's finding a, a you know, a, become the third party team and, and being able to somehow get off Dwight Powell's contract, which does give you a little bit more salary cap flexibility. I, I know we're exhausted saying those words and talking about, you know, cap flexibility and cap space. But again, I think that the terms or the 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 you know the way we're framing what this coming for agency period is is different than we've framed it in the past. The team has to do something. They can't just say, "Well, we didn't get Kemba Walker, so we're just kind of resign some of our own guys, do a few team friendly deals, and try again next year." There is no try again next year because that's when Doncic extension finally kicks in. So, so the crucialness and the just the imperative nature of signing someone, and I think they understand this. I pray they understand this. Does frame cap flexibility and cap space this coming summer as a pretty important thing because they have to go out there and, and add value for free, essentially. Like that, that's that's the yeah. hope. That's the idea. Like they don't have enough value right now. Sending some out, like you said, would be a gamble that could set them backwards. They need just more value on the team, even even if they're just signing someone who they realize that, you know, six months later they can they can trade for a, a player who does make more sense. You know, I think that's that's really where the the whole thing comes down to. And and it's a bummer that the free agency period didn't materialize like they hoped. That is the danger of banking on it as hard as they that they they did. And and they're really out of time, but but it has to come down to somebody they get in free agency this coming summer. Obviously, I don't know uh, if they were saying to themselves, the reason we're not involved in free agency is because of Giannis. It might just have been that 
some players didn't want to take their money, but I absolutely would have give, given Christian Wood more than he got. I would have given Bogdanovich more than he got, and they had the money to do both those. Brogdon was a trade that involved a first-round pick, so maybe they couldn't have swung that, but maybe they could have with a player. I think Luca blew the timeline up for them a little bit because they, I don't – I mean, I certainly don't have this on uh, uh, reported, but I think they thought, all right, we have to make a move right now because this dude can get us into the playoffs – but what that did was, is it completely, you know, emptied out your draft capital. And now they don't have a ton to get involved, like some of these other teams that have been not only good, but also stockpiling valuable players and picks. Um, and so, you know, I like, for example, right now, would you do, let's say, uh, Maxi, take your pick between uh, Brunson and Hardaway and throw in Josh Green because you don't have a first round pick to help Atlanta out in this, but. Josh Green could still end up being a pretty nice player. Like if that was a, an immaterialized pick and it was just the Mavericks pick, first round pick is, you know, it's going to be what, 2021 or something? Would you would you do that right now for Collins, knowing that you're then going to give Collins basically his full max this offseason and just pray that, you know, things don't get wonky in the restricted free agency period? Would you would you make that deal? It's funny because you you presented a choice between Brunson and Hardaway, and I think those are two very different choices. Brunson is a player who maintains value over the course of the next few years, of course, whereas Hardaway is probably not on the team next year. I, I think I would do that for Hardaway. I don't think I would do that for Brunson, if that makes so, sense. So my only point on that would be just that Brunson is more valuable, but I do think if right. high side winning this year, even though I think Brunson has possibly been you know second best valuable, maybe I'm talking contract, but... Hardaway can help you win a playoff series on a on a good night, right? It's like right. You're now. I'm not saying you're waving the the white flag because you're bringing back a very good player, but you're also trading a guy who can light it up any night, decreasing probably your chances of winning relative to Brunson. So, you would do it for Hardaway. You wouldn't do it for Brunson if that was the three player deal. I think I'm at a point where I think they need to bring in value and try to lose as little little as they can. And even if that value, even if if Collins balls out in Dallas, but isn't a isn't the right fit. Like, again, that gives you flexibility down the road and it makes trades more viable because now you at least have a player who's relatively young, very good at basketball, and you can find something, you can find a deal out there when you have Collins as a centerpiece and you go get a player who fits better uh, down the road. I guess I'm just not selling out for this postseason and I'm not selling out for next postseason. Yeah. I think I think it's crucial that you know, they, they're bringing value in so that they can continue tweaking around the edges. That's kind of the thing. If, if you trade, if you trade someone like Brunson, you can't use them later on when Brunson and Collins, for example, is the centerpiece to trade for, I don't know, whoever, but, but let's say like a, a real third star. <laughs> yeah. Or Brunson and KP. Exactly. Exactly. Especially if Brunson takes, you know, I, I don't think he really has a, a lot more room to, to take maybe a little more consistency, but he, he's a good player. He's a good player. He's not going to be that expensive, but he, but he certainly fits into a, you know, I think uh, a good playoff uh, team's rotation, maybe even as a fourth or fifth starter. I think that's that's all really valuable stuff to have. And just the idea of, you know, that almost gives them more room to build up to contender status. It, it extends your window. So you're not so, you know, focused on whatever you have on the roster after free, the free agency period ends in 2021. You're kind of stuck with that. Like, like you still have room and, and maneuvers to make. Uh, but yeah, I would I would think about that. If they're sold on Collins, I would think about just guaranteeing that you're going to get that player. Again, the idea is that you're trading clearly less valuable players for Collins, but you're doing it with the understanding that Atlanta probably isn't going to resign him, that 
Collins' value has depreciated, and, and so you're winning this trade in a, in, a, in a sense. But but Atlanta also has reason to say they're winning because essentially they're going to lose this player for nothing. Um, they just do not feel strongly that they're going to resign him. Yeah, Maxi would look nice next to Capella. I mean, and Maxi's yeah. uh, he's a heartthrob. I love him, basketball fave, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I would kill for a player right now at this deadline that was pretty good that I wasn't sure if they fit on the team (laughs) Yeah, because then I could go to the table, you know, because that's, they don't really have anything like that. So on paper, Dorian and Maxie, whose names have been mentioned this week are valuable. And I would say if they do anything of of note, one or, or both those guys are going to be involved because their contracts are so affordable and they offer, you know, maybe not high end talent, but dynamic skill sets. Um, and from there, it's pretty much just, you know, we've all heard the drum and rumors. I don't, I mean, I guess, you know, he's not coming here on a buyout. So you'd, you'd almost certainly be having to swing a deal. Um, and I've, you know, I'm sure you have too. You look around the league and just, I don't, I mean, they just don't have a lot of firepower that's, that's going to get them anything back that makes them better. There's a couple guys like, um, and if Mike Marshall hears this, he'll, he'll definitely make fun of me because, I once thought that this guy was going to be a a real big time player before the game changed, but there's no uh, way Mike Marshall willingly listens to me in any medium. (laughs) You're probably (laughs) right. Uh, But like, I'm pretty sure Memphis is going to buy Gorgie Jang out. Um, And that's a dude, if you're looking for a third center that is still, he hasn't been playing, but I, I think that probably has less to do with injury and more to just do with where the Grizzlies are. Um, Unless I've missed something, but I mean, He's a rim runner. He's not a great defender, but he can do, you know, he's serviceable on the glass. And, you know, you could really look at any at wing or uh, at big and heck, maybe even at at secondary playmaking. And there's not a whole lot of spots where if they bargain basement hunted that you'd be like, boy, that they don't need that. Yeah. You you mentioned earlier about uh, Luca and just the the timeline that he's going to be here. And I think that's important to remember. I think that in a, in a couple of years, we can look back at the team's team building strategy and say it didn't work. It failed. It, it, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think that there is room to kind of strip down, not not all the way, obviously, that that draft picks are going to be the, the the key. But but there's there's ways to kind of re um, refocus the team building efforts in a couple seasons. And, and that it's a rare, it's a rare instance that you're able to do that. And it all comes down to Luca being this good, this quickly, you know, usually rookies are not top five players by year two or three. And that does give you a much longer timeline. So, so I think, I think it's, it's fair to say that, that we could, we could look back and say, you know, they gambled too hard. They would, they went too hard, invested too hard in free agency. They, they really were going for that third star. They had a couple close misses with free agents in terms of, you know, they wanted uh, Jay Crowder last summer. They wanted Kimba, almost got Kimba two summers ago, if not for a very strange out for Horford decision in terms of leaving, uh, leaving Boston. All of that would be a miscalculation on that point, And it wouldn't be the end of the world. They, they would still have room to rebuild a, or, or build back a contender around Luca. But in terms of the next two seasons, a, a lot of it does hinge on either you know, some some sort of trade at the deadline that that sets you up better for for the free agency to actually work out something in free agency that that gives them just flexibility going forwards to again have a centerpiece in a, in another future trade, even if that player doesn't exactly work out the way they want in terms of you know really pushing them to that that top five level. One of those things has to happen now, or or I do think 
they they messed up at some point and that they they should have gone after a Bogdanovich or one of the other names that you, that you mentioned uh, in that, that was available in 2019 and in 2020 in terms of Christian Wood. I I do think that that we may look back and say that was a miscalculation and, and that they, they they went a little, a little too far in that direction. Yeah, and of, of course it's all interconnected. The situation that they find themselves in now, where they don't have necessarily uh, they 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 were not active last uh, year in free agency. They don't really have any picks they can trade. That doesn't all come back to KP, but a lot of it does. And if in a couple years you're saying that the team building process failed um, and that they didn't do enough around Luca, you can talk about Bogey and and Christian Wood and whether they got involved in a trade for for Brogdon or if they should have been you know, given more money to a guy like Crowder to try to convince him to come here. But if in three, four years you're saying their team building process failed, and not to be reductive, but it will 100% be because of an indictment of the KP trade. Because you're, no one's going to say, if, if KP turns out to be, you know, the player that they thought he could be in, in and paid and he's bubble KP over 75% of the next two seasons, then they're going to be good. You know, they may not they may not have done enough around them to become, you know, a top two team in the West. But no one if, if they're consistently winning in a normal season, you know, 55 games, no one's going to say they failed. But they cannot do that as presently constructed without Porzingis being better. And that's related to what they have assets wise, because he makes a ton of money and he costs them two picks. You know what I mean? Like, so it's almost like all this other stuff is important. But if you're looking at them and saying you failed in a couple of years it will almost certainly fall right at the feet of that trade. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And it's it's the process versus result thing. The process made sense when they did it. So, you know, I think the failure would be certainly a a hindsight is 2020 situation where I thought they made a smart move at the time. I thought that they legitimately acquired two stars or acquired a, a second star to Luca. I mean, I guess I, I think I think you can still point at one of those free agencies and say you failed by not getting someone who could more approximate a, a third best player, a fourth best player. Um, and that would have just eased everything and made everything a little bit simpler um, in terms of the the, the team building um, windows that they have open now. You know, yeah. it, it, would, it, would it be easier to make a deal at, at this deadline if you had a Bogdanovich under contract and could reasonably flip him or but i mean again that's not someone who has a ton of value um at some point you're it, it is very easy to kind of talk ourselves in circles and i can tell we're kind of doing that so we'll, we'll kind of wrap up here but uh but, but yeah, what's, what's your closing K- thought here yeah go ahead the only thing on the kp thing is just it would be hindsight but we all knew what the risks were they knew sure. and we knew and those risks have manifested themselves in a way that i feel like is related to his again whether you want to call it off the court or literally walking off the court type issues, <laughs> which he seems to be a player that do that his on and off court stuff does seem to be very tied together. And we all knew the risks uh, primarily on the injury front. And again, process versus outcome. I was on board with it at the time, but you know, again, I do think when, when you write the book about the the Mavericks literal or otherwise in five years, you uh, it's really going to come down to did he play well enough to help them to be traded or poorly enough to handcuff them um, in, in deadlines and free agencies for years. They could have done more in some of these free agency classes, but they also have a max player on their roster who from time to time um, doesn't really show up. And that that what teams are winning with that? Not many. This shit is hard. 
team building. <laughs> it's so hard, dude. It's really hard. It's I don't so know hard. if you were ever like as a kid, like, oh, I want to work for an, in, in, you know, for an NBA team. I could be in a front office guy. I would never do that. That is, mm, yeah, that's not for me. I'll, I'll let I'll let the I'll let the guys getting paid to uh, to figure that stuff out. Do that because it's uh it's much much easier to sit sit above uh in the clouds as we do when we record these podcasts and uh, i don't even like doing puzzles you know so <laughs> I mean, like, this would not work well for my psyche oh man all, all i do is i uh, i'll do the crossword on on the new york times and uh i usually get fed up halfway through the monday one which is the easy one and i'm like come on i don't know what the uh the swedish auto car now discontinued from 1980 is i definitely can't assess the value of uh whether it should make sense to trade for john collins or lonzo ball someone we didn't mention or or whatever it is uh i'll stick to crosswords they got a little game called spelling bee and you just you got like these seven letters and you, you come up with words that that's about that's about my mental capacity that's where it peaks so uh i'll stick with that i'll stick with that so all right, dude, you got any uh, any final, final, final thoughts here? Uh, you know, not really. I mean, I think their best, you know, I, I want them to do something to round out the edges. But I, I think the best thing this team has going for it is playing more games together and playing cupcakes. And I, and I think there's a real chance that with those two things combined, uh, they can head into the playoffs with a little bit of, quote, momentum, which really just means wins and a seed. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I wouldn't bet money on them right now without knowing the matchup to beat uh, you know, a higher seeded team, but I mean, I think they're in every game because they've got, they figured out the one cheat code, which is a, a cool trick. So it's always going to be interesting if nothing else with him out there. Well, this was a very strange episode of it's just banter, but, uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll try to get back to, uh, Dallas city <laughs> politics or some nonsense like that, that you actually care about. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave you with that, but, uh, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate you coming on. We've been trying to do this for a little while and, and scheduling conflicts and we just had various things come up, but uh Snow. felt like a good week to do it and uh we'll 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 have you back at some point. Probably let's uh let's get you in before the before the playoffs. We can talk more about like Luca and on court basketball stuff and not this reductive nonsense about whether they should have, you know, offered seven more million dollars to a to a Eastern European uh, <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk Luca we'll talk Luca post ups next time. Oh hell yeah. That's uh that's extremely my shit. <laughs> All right, man. All right, time. thanks, Jake. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Jake. Uh, thanks, listeners. We'll be back next week with a uh, I think the usual cast of characters, and uh, you know, probably sum up whatever happened at the trade deadline. Uh, but but also again, hopefully get back to talking about actual on court stuff. You know, we just we just had to take this brief break and figure out where the team building and all that that was so we'll see y'all then don't fight the future it tears me apart don't fight the future please be nice to luca future four-time mvp oh my god shut it down